G'day everybody and welcome to episode 30 of X-Band, the Phantom Podcast. Uh, apologies, it's been a little while between episodes. We've all had stuff on that's prevented us from um, from getting to doing the podcast. So, of course, with me as always, I've got Stephen and Jermaine. How are you guys? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm doing well, and yourself? Yeah, I'm well. Right, so we've got a bit of news and, of course, some new comics to talk about this episode. So we'll get straight into it. So... Our first uh, piece of news is that India is getting some new uh, merchandise. Uh, we talked about this on the last um, news episode of the Phantom Podcast that the Indian store, um, entertainment store it's called, is selling a whole bunch of posters and t-shirts and things. Well, now they're also getting mugs and uh, keychains as well and some extra posters, some new poster designs. Uh, these look really cool. I really like the um, keychains in particular. What do you guys think mm. of these? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, my favourite's the um, uh, the where the Phantoms wrestling the Tigers. So to see that across a few of the items is good. What I also like is that they're actually using different designs. It's not the same design. Mm. Four times over on the same, pro- you know, on each individual product. So there's a little bit of variety in it. Yeah. So that's that's something that I'm really impressed with. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I wonder though, those keychains, if they're going to be like uh, rubber keychains, or if they're going to be metal with the sort of colour inlay, because you can't really tell from the picture. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's a good point. Um. I don't, I don't really know. Um, from what I've been told, like the posters and the... Um, I haven't got my posters or T-shirts yet. No, um, I haven't either. They're coming in the mail, like, you know, soon. But from what I've been told, they're, they're of high quality and the stuff that this company has released in the past also is high quality. I've seen some of the other stuff they've released. So um, I don't think it's just going to be cheap, tacky stuff. Well, I hope it's not. Yeah. It's a shame that this store doesn't have um, shipping internationally. You know, it makes it just a little bit harder for, for some people that may not have an Indian contact mm. to get the gear. <laughs> that That's true. However, um, we, there was actually a couple of comments on Facebook about this, wondering how we're going to get some of this, some of this stuff. And um, like you said, I'm sure there's plenty of fandom... Um, uh, Indian fandom fans that would be interested in swaps or, you know, purchases. You know, you give them some fruits and they give you some stuff or, you know, or whatever. But also Fandoms Vault has started putting some of the stuff on their website already. Um, oh, some the Indian stuff? Yeah, the Indian posters are on there right now. Oh, I did um, not know that. The first four designs that were released, which is the Jungle Sayings, the one where he's wrestling the tiger the um, good and bad mark and the bullet between the eyes, oh, they okay. are on Fanners Vault right now as we speak. Reasonable price as well, uh, I think between 10 and $20 per, per one. So, you know, you, it's a little bit more expensive than what you would if you were buying in India, but, you know, you kind of expect that because he's... Um, <laughs> Bless you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, they've had to ship them out and stuff like that. But yeah. the main thing is, is that people in Australia who don't have access 
in India can get a hold of it. Yeah, well, that's good. I'll have to check that out, especially if they've got that Jungle Sayings poster, because I still really want that. <laughs> um, right, so what else do we have? We have uh, King Features is bringing... Well, I don't think they're bringing it out themselves, um, but there is a book coming out celebrating 100 years of King Features history. Um, it is available to buy now. You can get it on... Um, Book Depository for 70 Australian dollars, but it's not released through Book Depository until the 13th of October. However, you can buy it right now from most comic stores um, for about 80 bucks. So, you know, it depends if you want to wait a little bit for it to be cheaper. Um, Did you mean November then? No. We're past past the 13th of October. Have we? Oh, we have to. Well, it said, on, it, said, it, said, it said on the website um, October 13th, so I guess it's available now then. Oh, excellent. So there you go. I quite like this. Yeah? quite like the book. Um, I'll, be getting, I'll be getting it. Not sure whether I'll be getting it through, you know, online or through my local comic book store. Um, but I think it, it's, it reminds me of a good, like, um, coffee table book. You know, the, the one that you... Um, you know, has a bit of status, it looks good, and you kind of flick through it, you know, while you're waiting for the, you know, the ads on your favourite TV show or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so are you guys getting it? Um, I'd like to, I'd, I'd like to, but um, we'll see how we go. Got to ask permission from the wife, eh? Got to make sure I've got the money, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't know if I can spend that much money on it at the moment but having said that it's about the same price as a Hermes um, mm. collection but I wonder how much stuff on the Phantom is in there like if there was a whole section dedicated to it then I might be a bit more prepared to spend the money but I think it's just a couple of pages one or two pages oh, that's a shame yeah but it has to you can understand why because oh, it yeah. has to you know it, it has to be a whole hundred years yeah. Um, and there would be quite a lot of stuff in the 100 years, I would I would say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't about get... 100 years worth? Mm, probably. Or centuries. I, I'm interested in the whole history of the thing, but just, you know, if it was a decent amount of Phantom stuff, I'd be that little bit more inclined to go, yeah, I'll spend 70 bucks on, on one book. But anyway. Mm. Right, well, uh, moving on. Egmont... We forgot the coin. Oh, we did... Oh, sorry. I did forget the coin. So, um, as part of the Phantom's upcoming 80th birthday, 80th anniversary, uh, King Features have uh, contacted uh, Perth Bullion, Bullion, sorry, who is a, an Australian company who produce, oh, I suppose you'd call them ceremonial coins, and they're going to do one for the Phantom's 80th anniversary. Uh, it's going to be silver. Now, we've got no idea how much... It's going to cost. That hasn't been announced. Uh, neither has a release date. However, just looking at um, the Perth Bullions website, their gold coins range from $25 to 275 is the most expensive I was able to find. <laughs> so anywhere in between those two numbers is probably how much it's going to cost. Um, but looking at, at their website, the coins do look like they, they'd be pretty good 
uh, quality. They've done ones for heaps of other things like Star Wars. There's a Back to the Future one that they made for the recent Back to the Future Day. Um, of course, there's a lot of Australiana things on there. So, their stuff looks to be of really high quality, but we just don't really know any more information other than it is eventually going to happen. So, we'll keep you posted on that. Of course it's high quality. It comes from turf. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> you know, we all know that the best stuff comes from turf. Like their footy teams. <laughs> yeah, you go, rub that one in, don't you, Mark? Oh, I've, I've got a whole year for that one. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, moving on. Right, moving on. So we have um, a new series of uh, strips from Egmont called Phantom Kids. Um, the first story was released on the 8th of October in Phantom Man issue 21-2015. Um, basically, the stories focus on the Phantom's children, Kit and Heloise, and they consist of three eight-page episodes uh, and written by writer Jules Hazengard and draw by um, Jan, and I'm probably going to say the last name wrong, but Jan Belikai, I think it's pronounced. Um, So we haven't got an English uh, translation as of yet, but it looks like it's just Life in the Jungle with the Twins, which could be very fun. Um, And it looks like Garan makes a guest appearance in at least one of them. Uh, what do you guys think of this? Do you think this is an interesting thing to do with with the Phantom, or not something that you'd be interested in? I think I think it's interesting. I've only seen you know, a couple of images that people have shared on on Facebook, and yeah, I'm keen to to see it out here and give it a read. It's just you know something a bit different, and yeah, I, I don't see it as a bad thing. I I love the I love the concept. Um, the art's not really my thing, but from what I've understand, what I've been able to gleam and what I've read and stuff, is that it's not aimed for the established older fans like us. Um, it's more established for the, you know, like the, the 10 to, or maybe even the 8 to 14-year-olds. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and I've, um, I've been told that in Sweden there's a lot of little magazine comics that are released for that age uh, genre and I know it's also the case for um, um it's also the case for uh, for Australia as well yeah like the Disney so, magazines and the cartoon yeah. magazines yeah so I think it's 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 worth a shot aiming for that market now yeah. in on the article on um, Chronicle Chamber you talk about that um the publisher, where was it? The publisher, Mikkel, um, uh, what's the actual word? States that he hopes Phant- Phantom Man Kids eventually can become a separate fan and publication aimed at younger readers. Yeah. So. It's a good way to get them in. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. And, you know, it's an exotic location. You know, you've got the image, you know, you've got, Chronicles, you've got you know treasure and and you know kids and stuff like that. So you know, I, I reckon it's a great idea, and I hope that it works. And I hope we um um uh, I hope it, you know we get a separate publication because if if we do, I know I will um be getting a subscription to it. 
Do you think it's something, if they did make the second magazine in um, Sweden, do you think it's something Fru would publish here? Uh, that's probably a question for um, Dudley. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when when we get him on... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, nudge, nudge, Dudley. Um, <laughs> that would be a question for him. You know, maybe I don't know. I think maybe an maybe an online version might be best for for an, uh, an Australian audience. Because mm, you know, when, when you're talking about those those kids magazines, um, I've got um, a couple of ones they've released for for Sonic, and they're all they're, they're either the really big sort of proper magazine size or the smaller ones but either way the paper is just that little bit better quality and they're always in colour because of course the kids much prefer colour which isn't really something Fru's done before so it'd be Mm -hmm. interesting to see if they'd experiment with that I was just wondering the same thing where they just um, ditch the colour and put it on to the end of a a short of a 22 page story yeah I think that that would be defeating yeah. the purpose, though, because if mm. it's aimed at kids, you know, we can sit here and whinge all day about how good yeah. black and white art is. But the fact is, when you're a kid, you know, colour is something that grabs your attention. So I think it really needs to have the colour in there for it to to work for the purpose that it's been made for. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, um... From an Australian audience, I don't know whether I don't know whether it would work because I don't think the fandom is as popular over here than what it is over in um, Egmont, and I think Egmont's pro- over in Sweden, and I think Egmont's probably has a little bit more money than what Fru does as well. Yeah. Um, Steve, uh, my apologies, but are you what age group of children do you work with? Uh, I've moved to high school now, so oh, yeah. um, oh you're a brave so man. Year seven to twelve, and actually, um, uh, yeah, well, I'm talking with year elevens and uh, or in year twelves for that matter, and we get into superheroes and stuff as you do in your free time. Um, and I mentioned the Phantom. Oh yeah, the bloke in the paper. That it's usually the fir- first one that they've um, the first superhero that they've read. Yeah. And it's often the in, you know, and I've heard this time and time again. It's, it's their introduction into superheroes. Hmm. Yeah, the, so, the, I yeah. was I was going to say the same thing, but I'm also um, high school hmm. students, so they're a little bit that little bit older. But I I find that even year seven students will know who he is. Obviously, yeah, they, as, yeah, they absolutely know who they are. Who so is, yeah. I think there is that gateway knowledge for them to, you know, if a publication like this was released in Australia, I think there's enough sort of knowledge in in the younger culture of Australia that I might go, oh yeah, Phantom, I've kind of heard about him. I'll check that out. And if it looked good with, you know, nice colour, and this artwork is very reminiscent of what's happening in um, animation now with shows like Total Drama Island and things like that, they're a lot more simplistic, I, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, I think it might grab grab their attention. Okay, cool. So those Sonic magazines that you've got, Joe, what's in it? Is it just a comic, or is there stuff like puzzles and, you know, like giveaways? and? Yeah, it's all that. It's it's usually uh, three or four comics, and then there's, yeah, pages of puzzles and information about the characters, um, biographies about the characters and things like that. Um, sometimes I'll even have recipes like Sonic's chili dogs and things like that, so you can get in <laughs> and, and cook, you know, chili dogs with your mum and all that sort of stuff. Um, 
So yeah, it's it's a whole variation of things that's in there. All, all relating back to the character, but sometimes I'll have more of an educational slant. Um, sometimes I'll just be fun things like, you know, how to make a mask or a, or a paper standy or something like that. Okay. But yeah, it's it's pretty cool stuff for for that age group. Hmm. And I suppose was the Sonic popular? Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, Sonic isn't a hugely popular video game character in a, in Australia. There is definitely a market for it, but it's not you know Halo or whatever. Um, yeah. So it, it took me a while to track a copy of that magazine down, but. Um, I don't know if you could really compare the Phantom and Sonic in Australia because they are two very different things. Um, because the Phantom's always been around, so everyone knows him. Whereas with Sonic in Australia, if you didn't grow up sort of playing video games in the in the 90s, you mightn't have that awareness of him. Yeah. So I think the audience is very different. <coughs> but um, yeah, as for the contents of the magazine, they're very varied. And some of the stuff I've even stolen ideas from and used at school, so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, yeah. So, yeah. It could be interesting to see what happens with it anyway. Hmm. Right, well, um, let's let's move on to possibly the most exciting news that's happened in the last month. The pop vinyls finally came out. Yay! (laughs) As people on Facebook have probably seen, I was very excited about that and had to change the... Phantom Collector header image. <laughs> so, um, how many did we all get? I got one of each. I got one red, one blue, and two purple. Jermaine, you got two of each colour? I got two of each colour. Yep. What about you, Steve? Uh, I've just got the red one. That was all that was left in the shop. That's right, because you didn't pre-order. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to keep I'm gonna keep writing you about that. <laughs> you, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, what do you guys think of them? Now that we finally have them. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> but, um oh, well, my local comic shop hasn't got them in yet, so I'm still hanging out for that one. <laughs> oh, so you... well, it's still in the box. It looks all right in still... the box. I'm just picking them up having a look. <laughs> okay, so you haven't taken them out? No, I haven't taken mine out yet. No, I haven't taken mine out. Oh, okay. Well, I, I took um, all of mine out except one of the purple ones, which I'm keeping in the box. And they're up on display. Um, if anyone's ever bought uh, any of Funko's pop vinyls before, you'll probably know what to expect. They're, you know, solid. They're of good, good quality. But I'm still amazed at how good the little details are. Like, you wouldn't be able to tell, I don't think, in the box. But if you take it out and have a look at his hands, you can see they've got the skull ring and the good mark ring on there. And, and they're actually quite detailed. Like, you can tell that it's supposed to be a skull. You can tell that it's four cross swords it doesn't just look like sort of a a bump or a, a lump they've just sort of stuck there to try and make the impression of a of a design it's you can actually tell what it is which i think is is really great stuff and even the um the paint jobs on the other uh variant costumes like you've got the black and blue stripes on the undies instead of black and purple and all that sort of stuff so they've got the um the colors right which is always good. They've done their research on it. Yeah, no, I reckon for the price, it's a very solid um, item. Yeah, yeah, I love them. Um, something I wanted to 
ask you guys because this came up on on Facebook. I don't know uh, if you saw it. I won't mention the the name of the person who posted it um, in case he he feels like I'm having a go at him because I'm I'm not. I just like your opinions on this. Someone posted um, that they felt something like the like the pop vinyls, which are you know let's let's face it, they're kind of cute looking with the you know the big heads and the big eyes and stuff. Felt that it was uh, in some way diminishing. The Phantom, because the Phantom's supposed to be, you know, a serious character, and he's about, you know, good versus evil, and he's very much in a, an adult sort of um, hero in that. Not 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 to say that it's violent or dark or anything, but you know, it's supposed to be taken seriously and has serious issues, and that making a cute little figure like the pop vinyls out of him sort of diminished that aspect of the character. What do you guys think about that? Um, it's a cartoon. Um, it's a comic. Um, <laughs> no, um, seriously, I, I don't even know who who said that. So, um, yeah. Um, oh, it, yeah, I disagree. Really, yeah. yeah. You go, Steve. I, I was thinking about all the other characters that they've done. If you're talking about, you know, or you think of serious drama, things that should be taken, you know, really seriously, they've got a whole range of um, Game of Thrones stuff and, yep. you know, a whole bunch of Batman stuff. And, you know, it's not just cartoony kitty stuff. There's, you know, a lot of, for lack of a better word, serious, you know, or, or dramatic characters that they put into, into, you know, these little pop vinyl things. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here looking over at my... Sauron pop vinyl. Um, you can't get much darker than that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Skull like mask. The the Phantom has different in the different eras of the fan. Like the thirties and forties, he was very dark. Um, but then if you're looking around the you know around the eighties and the nineties, he was very um, family friendly and happy and smiley and stuff. So to say that the Phantom is not that you you kind of incorrect in the sense that you know that he in the different eras he's been portrayed he's kind of been them all yeah Mm. constantly evolving exactly for better or the worse for (laughs) better or the worse like i still prefer the 30s and 40s um you know from a from a from a from an aspect from the um, storytelling point of view, in my opinion, that was the best era. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. And well, he's always had, you know, that little bit of... Even when Falk was writing him in that darker area, you mentioned, um, Jermaine, all the way up to modern-day writers like um, Ben Rabb and that, he'd always have that bit of humour in him as well, so I don't think it's too out of left yeah. field. But um, my my thing is, too, if, you, if you're into... Um, collectible toys or collectibles of of you know movie stuff or comic stuff pop vinyls are probably the most popular collectible at the moment like people oh, that, they're everywhere yeah exactly yeah. and people that would never generally collect stuff have pop vinyls because they've released of so many things so i think the fact that the phantom has been made into a pop vinyl just speaks to how one popular the character actually is um that a company like Funko would go, oh yeah, we should do, you know, this old, you know, for lack of a better word, because I'm not sure if they're an American company, but they're definitely not Australian, you know, this kind of left-field comic character, when there are arguably more popular or more well-known 
in America, characters like Dick Tracy, um, Green Hornet and stuff that don't have their own pop vinyl. So I think it speaks to the popularity of the figure, um, mm. uh, of the character, I should say. And they did the variants as well. The yeah, yeah. The fact that they did, the fact <laughs> yeah, that they did the that. variants. Yeah, I think also speaks to how popular they either knew or thought that the character would be. So. Yeah, and they knew that there was going to be, you know, idiots like us that are going to be buying multiples of the different colours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I actually originally planned, I was just going to get the purple one, I was going to sit him up, I'll take him out of the box, and you can, you'll have a pride of place at a spot for him. Went to the shop, no purple one. Oh, bugger, I'm going to have to collect a lot of them now, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I'll do a ghost version where he's like, see, partly see-through or something. <laughs> Well, actually, I saw somebody. He, he bought an extra purple one or something, and and um, painted him grey. Oh yeah, I did see that yeah, on Facebook. Yeah, that looked yeah. that looked really nice, actually. Yeah, it did. And then they could do a twenty forty version and a last Phantom version with his berry juice and a movie version. <laughs> oh, it'd be great. It'd be great. Right. Well, let's let's move on for the from the. Oh, we need Mister Walker as well. Oh yeah, that's true, Mister Walker. Yep. Oh. With a removable hat. I don't know why I have a removable hat, but it'd just be fun. <laughs> and maybe a little devil as well to go along with him. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's, let's move on now before we get yes, carried, too carried away. So um, we had uh, a interview we posted up on Chronicle Chamber um, with Cy Barry that was done by the Comics Bulletin. Uh, very interesting uh, uh, article and also somewhat controversial, I would mm. say. Um, so, for those of you that haven't read the article, we won't go through the whole thing, but make sure you jump onto the Chronicle Chamber website and check it out. It's still on the front page. Um, if you scroll down, you'll see a picture of Cy Barry. Just click on that um, article and you'll be taken. Uh, you'll be given a link that takes you to the full article. Um, we'll just sort of discuss some highlights at the moment. So, the article discusses his non-Phantom work, which is very extensive. Um, but of course, it's we'll... more extensive than I think anyone actually knows. Yeah, it was more extensive than I realised it was. Well, I knew he did romance novel covers, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't, you know, and I knew he kind of worked with Flash Gordon because it was kind of a given seeing his uh, his brother was working on it. But um, I did not know about you know half of the other stuff. Yeah, I, I was the same. I was already going, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. So it was, it was really good to read and hear about all that stuff that, you know, for some reason hasn't seemed to be mentioned that he's that he'd done previously. Mm. Um, but let's get into the stuff that's particularly relating to the Phantom. So the first interesting thing was then it, when he first took over working on the Phantom from Wilson McCoy, he was told that his artwork looked too much like Flash Gordon and not enough like the Phantom. In other words, his work was too detailed and too, for lack of a better term, realistic, um, given Wilson McCoy's more uh, simplified style of art, which, for a comic that, like you said, Jermaine, at the time was supposed to be a bit more realistic a bit uh sorry a bit more dark a bit more grim is kind of an interesting thing mm. to say um i can understand where the publishers were coming from they thought that you know if audiences had been reading the phantom and suddenly there was this dramatic change in the artwork they go oh that's i'm not reading that that's not the phantom i know um yeah well it happened with wilson mccoy had to copy <coughs> his, 
uh, had to copy Ray Moore's style. Yes, that's true. Um, and, and and now it's kind of ironic that Phantom artists are told that they have to basically be uh, copy Sky Barry. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, yeah. But just just playing devil's advocate here, if you guys had been reading the Phantom back in the day and suddenly the artwork changed from Wilson McCoy to Cy Barry, would you stop reading it? No. It's a good story. <laughs> you'd, um, you'd... I know some Wilson McCoy fans, you know, there are Wilson McCoy fans out there that um, did not, who actually, I, I've talked to a couple that actually were reading it when you know, back in the day then, and then went through the change to Barry, and apparently it was quite uh, jumpy for them. Mm. So, it's, it's I, I don't know if I can really comment, because I'm looking at it from, you know, from, um, you know, from the future, uh, rather than <laughs> um, looking at it from actually what it would have been like back then. Yeah. I know as a kid, you know, I, you know, getting the annuals and then, you know, I used to f- flick past the McCoy stuff and just go straight for the, uh, um, for the Barry stuff when it was in the, uh, but yeah, that's, you know, that's coming from my perspective rather than, um, actually living through it in that era. It's, it's interesting and I'm kind of glad you just said that, Jermaine, because I was the same when I was young. I would look at the Wilson McCoy art and go, oh, that's, that's just not good. I'm not reading that. I couldn't actually physically read the story because I disliked the artwork that much. And it wasn't until I actually went to art school and had an art education that I started to appreciate it. He's still not my favourite artist, but I can appreciate his work now. So it's it's interesting that I'm glad I'm not the only one that had that reaction. But it, yeah. it's interesting that we both kind of had that and we went straight for the Cy Barry stuff. Could we liken it to... Um... Well, to the present day, like we've been reading the the Fru or, or Phantom and or whatever, and you're getting used to that style of artwork, and then reread the the King Dynamite stuff and seeing that sort of artwork, <laughs> or even Phantom Kids, yeah, and those short stories as well, where it's like, oh, hang on, that's not the Phantom, um, and when those shorter stories came out, because they're from you know the arts, not the Phantom, or even um, uh, that new artist Henrik. I can't remember his last name. So that's for Jay. There was a, there's been a couple of discussions on Facebook about oh that's not that's not the way the fandom is. So it's so you, you raise a good point, Steve. Where I think people just don't like change. Yeah, but also that that Phantom Kids is also it's aimed at kids. You know, it says mm. Phantom Kids, not the Phantom. Yeah. So you you know you can take you know, having that that more cartoony art. But yeah. Also, I wonder if we're more, like you just said that we're more, uh, people don't like change, but I'm wondering too if maybe today for a modern audience we're more accepting or, yeah, more accepting of the fact that an, an artist's change will eventually occur. Like with through pretty much every issue is by a different creative team, so it's always changing. But even in, um, you know, American comics, you know, you'll have a team on a series for a couple issues and then it'll change, so it'll, so the art will change. And, I mean, look at 
um, King Phantom, the artist changed, what, three or four times in that thing? And that was only a four-issue miniseries. I don't know. I've kind of blotted that from my memory. Yeah, fair enough. So, but, but, <laughs> I was actually thinking, but, but um, the Mandrake, too, that, you know, I remember when that first came out, that, that was jarring for all of us. Yeah. Um, the, mm, the artwork yeah. in that. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? It would be interesting to hear from people that were there when it happened. Um, anyway, let's let's move move on a little bit. So, still on McCoy's art, Cyberry himself described McCoy's art as childish and unslick. Do you guys think that's a fair comment, or do you think he's been a bit harsh? Um, been a bit harsh, but from what I've read and what I, I've read other interviews from him, and I've watched an interview, and he's not someone who minces his words um Cy Barry so yeah. I'm not surprised you thought of McCoy's art as quote childish and unslick yeah I um I can understand why he thinks it's childish I mean if you compare Cy Barry's art to Wilson McCoy's and just at a glance you can sort of see where he's coming from like I'm sure Cy Barry's <laughs> studied anatomy and all that sort of stuff very intently but I wouldn't call it childish at all. Um, I'd call it minimal, maybe, and I don't think it's unslick. Like, you look at his work, and every line is exactly where it's supposed to be. You know, he didn't put stuff in there just for the sake of putting stuff in there. Wilson McCoy's art is all very economical as far as, you know, the lines he was making. So, yeah, I, th- I think size being a bit unfair there. But it's also the time period as well that it is, was. It is, yeah. What, um, do you, what do you think, Stephen? Yeah. Yeah, I probably wouldn't call it, yeah, unslick. I thought, yeah, I, I agreed with you there with the, um, I was going to say simplistic, but that wasn't the right word. But when you said minimalistic, yeah, that that, that was it. Um, yeah, each, and economic, yeah, well, you've definitely got the art background because you just summed it up there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have said it better, so I'm just going to agree with you on that one. <laughs> Five years of art school and I learnt the word minimalistic. I did well. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I wouldn't call it childish because I think, I, no, I couldn't draw like I couldn't draw like that now, but I don't think a kid could draw it either. No, no. Um, sorry, Jermaine, are you gonna say yeah, something? Yeah, uh, that's fine. Okay. Oh, cool. Right. So an- another point Sai uh, mentions in his interview is uh, Lee Falk's inconsistencies in storytelling, such as changing villains' names partway through a story. Um, I can't remember a villain's name changing partway through a story, but I do remember instances of things changing from story to story. Um, yeah. yeah I've got... Um, oh, it's a mid-90s story, Jonker's Crown. Yeah. I think in that story his name changes from Jonker, so J-O-O-M-K-A-R, to Jonker, J-O-O-N-K-A-R. Oh, okay. I think that's one example but maybe the reason why the um uh, uh the villains names are consistent is because sky cyberry would pick up on it and change it like he would kind of proof edit it oh okay right uh, i'm just just guessing just guessing mm-hmm. um I, i've you know i think you've got a script as well um yeah from what um uh, from what Cy was um, saying in his in, in his interview from memory, he only got parts of the script at a time where 
I've listened to interviews from Terry Beattie and um, Paul Ryan who say that Tony D. Paul give them the whole story at one time. Yeah. So I think if you're, you know, if you're giving someone parts of a story at a time, so like one week at a time, it will be quite easier, will be quite easy or easier to screw up a name because you don't have it to reference, mm. you know, at the start of it. Yep. Um, and, you know, I think we all know that um, Lee Fork, the Phantom, was not his first love. Yeah. It was, I saw it more of his job, mm-hmm. where his first love was more the musical side of things. Yeah, and the theatre and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, that kind of brings us into the next point in which um, Cyberry mentions that Fork was rather egotistical and insecure about his work, not giving Barry his full due for work on the strip. And he says that his egotism comes from, you know, people telling him how good, uh, telling Lee Fork how good his Phantom strips were and his Mandrake strips were, but Fork never believing it because he possibly felt that comic work was <coughs> for lack of a better term below him or not as valuable or as good as some of the other stuff he's done or was doing mm. which well yeah if you have a look at his credits for his um his theater you know he his credits are pretty pretty credentialed he's you know so he he would have been good at that mm. yeah like he did like he directed players with Marlon Brando, Charlton Heston, and you know names like that. Exactly. Um, and and it's interesting, you know, what I've heard fans say when they've they've met him. You know, they talk to him about the Phantom and Lee Fork could be, oh, the Phantom. Pff, who cares about that silly thing? Yeah. You know. But it's interesting I'm, that that yeah. thing he tried to, or maybe not tried to, but. He, he didn't um, consider to be serious as the one thing that sort of survived. <laughs> <laughs> That's what people know, a lot of people know him from now. Like, yeah, exactly. Mm. I don't know if you remember, Joey, but um, there was, at one of the Lee Fort Memorial Benkeller Explorers Club dinners, <laughs> um, that is such a mouthful. It is. Um, there, was an, there was a talk by someone who actually... Um, gave it on Lee Fork and talked about how he was, how he finally got to meet his hero and he thought he was going to be something. And then after meeting him, he realised he wasn't who he thought he was going to be. Yeah, do you I, remember? Do, I do remember that, yes. But I never got to meet Lee Fork. You know, I've heard lots of wonderful stories about him. Um, you know, I've, the closest I've come to is emailing his wife um, a couple of times, but you know that's about like I've come to talking to him. Um, but from listening to that, in, listening to that guy talking about how he was not the easiest person to get along with, um, and then hearing some other stories, it, what Sai talked about, it didn't surprise me. It was yeah. surprising that he aired out for lack of a better word, the dirty laundry. But it didn't surprise me that there was issues because of some of the stories I've heard. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because Falk would get, you know, if if anyone would mention Batman, you know, Lee Falk would get very angry because he'd feel that, you know, they basically just stole his idea and changed it from skulls to bats and had all this success with it. Whereas his strip, you know, comparatively wasn't having as much success. But if you talked about the Phantom in regards to as just its own thing, he'd be, oh no, no, well. You know, my theatre work's more important. So it's very... You can you can see that sort of insecurity coming through in his interviews and things like that. Mm. It's, um... It does raise a good point, though, about, you know, stuff like Batman and Superman and all these other characters are more popular, even though they were created afterwards. But I guess that's a discussion for another day. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll have to get some more learned comic people on here than, than just us. <laughs> <laughs> but right. it was a very it was a very interesting article. Um, it was. Very. I don't think there's been <coughs> I don't think there's been many that have been that not I don't know how you would class it, but that honest. Yeah. Yes, it was it's a very honest article. You can it's definitely kind of a man it gave me the impression of a man at the end of his career proud of what he's done he, and he's work, he feels his work can stand up for itself and he can just go yep this is what I had to put up with <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no if, if you haven't if anyone <laughs> listening hasn't read it I'd highly recommend you jump online and check it out because it's a very good article alright so um, should we move on to the new comics now yes let's okay <laughs> So we've got a couple to cover since um, since our last podcast. So our first issue to cover is Nat Turner's Spirit, Part 1 and 2, um, which has a beautiful painted cover by Antonio Lemos. Mm. Um, I really like this cover. It's, it's a great cover. Yeah, it's... Um, it's... It's got it's got the very romantic notions of like you know the the big river with the steamboat and um, so yeah it's got it's got those nice elements to it. Mm-hmm. So um, before we actually get into the story, what did you guys think of the two parts being released in the one volume? I like it. You get the oh. get the story, the whole story. Yeah. Oh, actually, you don't get the whole story. You still got to wait for the voodoo wall in October. This is October 2015, but um, I guess we're going to be past that one. <laughs> yeah, it's um, oh yeah, I love it as well. It's you kind of um, you feel like you're actually getting your money's worth. Yeah. Mm. Because you know you're not just reading one part and then having to wait two months like they do in America. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I was really happy with it. And what did you think of the price point? Five bucks for 52 pages. Um, well, I didn't have a problem with it, but then again, you know, I'm going to get it no matter what the price is. Um, for someone who's a student or a 13, 14 year old kid, they may have a bit more of a trouble. Um, but me personally, it didn't bother me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought Yourself? it was, I thought it was good because you're getting basically double the amount of comic for not quite double the price, so... Yeah. yeah. Very reasonable. Yeah. Right, um, well, let's um, get on to the story itself. So, it's 
I don't know, this this story, it kind of went in places I didn't expect it to go, and it kind of makes all these twists and turns, and you're thinking, oh, how does this relate back to anything, and then suddenly it does, and, and I thought it was really good, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, I think the art helped. Yes, the art definitely helps. I think the art's, the art's fantastic, the, um, the use of black. Yeah. Uh, um, I've just opened up to page 30, and yeah, the, the page is black, and it's the white that um, is used for, I was about to say white's used for the lines, but, you know, it's it's a very dark story, and yeah. the, the artist, who I know is not savvy, uh, <laughs> has done a great job, I think. Yeah, um, Le Pan is, is still on the money when it comes to art. He's, um, you know, he's not getting any younger. But his artwork is still top quality. Oh yeah, by far. And you're right about the the darkness. It's now I don't, I don't know whether they match the artists up with the stories or not. Um, I would assume they kind of would, but this was like a perfect type of story for um, Le Pen to draw. Yeah, yeah. I like too that they didn't pull any punches with the um in regards to how slavery was treated or that those were, that were sympathetic to the slaves were treated. Like, you've got the second page and that fella just walks up and beats the hell out of that, that guy because he stood against slavery. And it's just... Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's good. It really gives the story that much more power, I think. Yeah, it, you're right. It doesn't pull any punches. But that, that's what... And I think you don't want a comic... Well, it's not aimed at kids, so it's not a Phantom of Kids mm. comic. Um, but you don't, yeah, you don't really want it um, to pull any punches. No. But I don't think they kind of went over the top. Like if you look at page twenty-six, when the voodoo guy kills the um, the hobo, you know, you see him second last panel. It's he's got the knife, and then the last panel is just a screen with the. You know, with the with the birds flying off, it's not like you know you you, you see a you see a um you know him actually in the in the process of stabbing the guy. So yeah, it was done tastefully as well, unlike a lot it's of other. The, the the implied um the implied yeah. or the the implied um if, if I remember correctly, I think um Hitchcock did a lot of that. You know, the camera would pan away, and but you know what was happening. Hmm. Yeah, and it's they they come back and sort of show the aftermath, but even that isn't terribly gruesome. Hmm. It could it could have been a lot more gruesome. Like it's dark, but it's not done too untastefully. Unlike a lot of TV shows and stuff these days. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's um, it's really sorry. I'm really looking forward to reading the next part. Um with them, you know, digging up bodies and all that sort of stuff. So here's a question. Should have, you know, and, you know, I'm sure Dudley's going to roll his eyes and think, oh, no matter what I do, I'm going to get questioned. But should have he waited for the third part to publish these two? Um, my instinctive reaction is to say yes, but having, you know, spoken to Dudley and all that sort of stuff and knowing about how they've got us, they're a little bit tied to the publishing schedule. Um, if he had have waited, we might have got two more issues of reprints. 
or maybe maybe at least one issue of reprints, which, if I had to choose between two parts in one volume and then waiting for the third in another, I'd pick that over two more reprints. You know what I mean? Mm. So and it'll probably affect the price too, having having the third story there. Yeah, it would well, they probably put that could, put that into into consideration. If you've if you've got the third part, so let's just yeah, just playing devil's advocate here. Mm. If let's just say he had waited, he could have kept the first one and second part as the one issue as he did, and then released the third part as the single issue, like the next week or something. Um. Yeah, I can but, see that happening. Yeah, but I guess I guess it's just you know it's just playing devil's advocate. Yeah. But no, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty but, happy with it. Yeah, I'm happy with it as well. I'm I would rather get. You know, I understand what you're saying with, and I think you raise a good point that it's better to get a um a new story than a reprinted story. Mhm. Yep. Totally. So, anything else we want to mention about this issue before we move on? No, we're looking forward to the next issue, the next part. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, speaking of reprints, number 1736 yeah, is, yeah, the replica number six. Are um, we still reviewing these? Can we just, like, skip them? Yeah, okay, so I'll just say what it had. It had Sing Brotherhood Part 2, Captain Kidder's Treasure, and The Slimming of Prince Tagon, I think it's, or, yeah, Tagon it's pronounced. Yeah. I so. love that story, the slimming of Prince Tagon. Just, you know, just let me put it out there. But um, if I wanted to read it, I would want to read a, um, yeah, everyone knows my the opinion. Everyone knows my opinion, so there's no point yeah. in me going in. Yeah. And, it, like, even I've stopped actually reading those issues too. I've, I've picked it up because I always pick it up, but I don't feel the... The, the need to, to flick through. I'll, I'll like to read um, um, uh, Barry Stubberfield's uh, message in, from the publisher there. Yeah. I like reading that. But that's usually as far as I get. I started reading the um, the first story, which I think was the, the Seeking Brotherhood. So uh, this is only a part of the story, which I've got three copies of in full. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting in reading the uh, letters from the publisher, and I can't remember the exact one, so I'm not going to be able to quote it, but it, um, from what, you know, from what it's been saying, that it's been very popular. Mm. So I guess as well it's been popular, it's a no-brainer that you're going to keep publishing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's it's good for um, Dudley and it's good for Fru if if it's successful. You know that's great for them. But mm. like we've said, it's well, I'm I'm not picking them up. I'm still not picking them up. Um, but yeah, so yeah. All right, let's guys. move on. All right, let's move on. So issue seventeen thirty seven, Treasure from Rhodes. Um, this is. Did you buy this? I did. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, had that... to get that. Is that another historical story? That it you... is another historical story. Oh, Dudley! I think you've changed his. I think you've changed his stance. Well, he's well finally it, it picked... helps if he prints his letter. Well, that yes, that does. Help. <laughs> is it in this issue that he published his yeah. letter? Yeah. We, we, we get a 
be both better than Oh, yeah, that's right. One. You get one and um, Joe got one. Yep. Yours, is, yours is first, though, Steve. So it means yeah, I've got a nice long, long one there. You mustn't have paid him off as much as um, as uh, as us. Yeah. <laughs> I try not to pay anyone off. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, sorry, Joe, go back. Um, I was just going to say, this is the sort of the first part. To well, I suppose it's not really the first part, but it kind of leads into Duel in Venice. Mm. So, and then Duel in Venice is a two-parter. Is it two parts or three? Uh, you've got Duel in Venice and then the Battle of Malta. That's right. So it's it's it, I don't think they're like a part one, part two, and part three, but they kind of they all link together. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So we have had well, when I say we, I'm talking about fruit. Fruit <laughs> has published Jewel in Venice and a Battle of Malta before. But they never published the treasure from Rhodes. Yeah. Um, so for me, um, who has read you know, a Jewel in Venice and, and stuff like that, um, and have always and loved the stories about the first fandom this was something that I was really, really excited about about getting. Yeah. Yeah, me too, because I, I really enjoy the Jewel in Venice. So to read this was, um, yeah, very exciting. And, and it's a great story, and, yeah, I'm a bit the same with you, Jermaine. I like to read stories about the first Phantom. So it's, it's, it's interesting, too, that they make a point in this story. And I, I think they make a point of it in Jill and Venice. Or maybe he's already got the Phantom name then. I, I can't quite remember. But um, I like that they make a point that the first Phantom was actually going to call himself the Avenger. Mm. Mm. Um, and they sort of tell you how the name the Phantom came about. Which, um, you know, traditionalists will say, well, that's not, you know, folk written, so, it, so it's not how it actually happened. But I think it's a really interesting take on the on the name. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, there's a whole series of stories um, done by Kerry LePan again um, where it goes into the the mythius creation of the Phantom with the first Phantom and stuff. Mm. So, like, there's a story where he talks about why he's called the Avenger and that's the story's based about where he's chasing the guy who killed his father and stuff. Um, so that was published, you know, back in the 80s again by Fruit. So, you know, there's that story. Then there's the Jew in Venice, the Battle of Malta. And then there's um, uh, then there's another, another couple of stories as well that were published in the early 1000s where it goes along the same type of stuff. So... You know, in an ideal world, if you could get all of those stories in one, it would it would be an awesome read. Yeah, he did a couple. Was it him that did a couple on um, exploring how some of the old jungle jungle sayings came about? Like I remember there was an issue about the Phantom running faster than lightning. Um, how that jungle legend came. Yeah, about. that one was Carlos Cruz, who was, oh, was the it? artist. Okay. Um, I think. I can't, I can't remember the author, but there was a couple. There was, you don't find the Phantom, he finds you, um, which was a <laughs> slave trading one. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, um, there was one that you just talked about, which was Phantom Runs Faster Than Lightning. 
And then there was a third one which hasn't been published by Free yet. I can't remember what Jungle saying it was. Um, but yeah, I, I know there was a third one. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be it's it's cool that they're exploring that mythology, like you say. So. Yeah. So, um, what did you think? Did had you read Jewel in Venice, Stephen? Uh, no, I, when they um, yeah, when this came out, I was on the on the hunt to see if I had had the other part, but I I didn't. And um, so I'm looking forward to it coming out. So, what did you think of Treasure from Rose then, as someone that hadn't read um, Jewel? Oh, I enjoyed it a lot, and yeah, the um. Yeah, how he's how he's getting his name and all that sort of stuff. I, I, I found it really interesting, and yeah, I know it's uh, not folk, and there's probably other people who've done other things. And I, you know, I've heard the Avenger um, line before, but I really like this take on it. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a great story. Mm-hmm. And um, very fast it, flowing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like before you know it, it's the end of the story, and it's like. That wasn't 30 pages. They jibbed me. Oh, no, wait, it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and these are the, um, just to go back on your point there, Jermaine, these are the um, historical stories I enjoy where it's not bogged down. It doesn't feel like a history lesson sort of thing. Like, yeah, we can know the time period. We know what's happening in the world. And then we get straight into the story, which I I think it, it, it just flows a lot better instead of suddenly stopping for all this historical exposition. You know, it's just, yep, time period, setting, go. That's that's yeah. what I enjoy about it. There you go. You've heard it first on the Phantom Podcast. That's the way to do a historical story. has admitted that he likes historical stories. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's just, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but yeah, some of them, they they would take, you know, a whole page out to explain all this, well, like I said, exposition that was going on historically in the time period that really I always felt was very unneeded. Mm. It, just, it just slowed the story to a grind, and I don't mm. know, maybe my attention span's not very good, but I just went, no, nah, I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, anything else we want to mention about that? I must admit, I do enjoy seeing the um, the Phantom letters back yeah. in the comic strip. Mm. Yeah, I do too. Even I'm if... not just saying that because there's yours, you know, your guys. <laughs> and, yeah. No, it was very nice of Dudley to print our letters, but no, that's not the only reason we like it back. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, it's good to read stuff from other fans and, and stuff. Yeah. Get their, get their point of view. Yeah. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's good. All right, well, let's move on to the next issue, which uh, is issue 1738, um, The Fire of Life. So this is another reprint. It's the third time it's been printed by Fru. Um, I didn't pick up this printing, but I'm pretty sure I have the previous two. Um, but I love this story. I think mm. it's a brilliant, brilliant story. Um, but like, this is actually one of those few that I remember from a, a previous printing. Oh, really? Because it was, was yeah. it in the mid- it's the spider. Yeah, the spider. I remember. Yeah, when I saw the picture of the spider on the front, hey, I know this story. And yeah, in the mid '90s, or when, when I first started, I think it was in that that first pile that I that I, that I got. So um. Yeah. So so it was yeah, printed in. Out. 
issue 1031 and mm. 1325. Um, now, both of those issues used the Glenn Ford cover. Did this one? Where he's like no, sliding. New cover. New cover. Oh, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, yeah um, I must admit, my news agent, um, they actually get rid of, they only hold, well, the one that I went to only hold like the latest issue and then they get rid of the the previous issues. So I haven't oh, really? picked this up. Um, so I've got to go to a new, I'm going to the comic book shop this weekend, so I was just going to pick it up then. Um, but. I went there expecting to see Jewel in Venice part uh, instead of this one, mm. um, but I've heard that they had some issues with with that, um, which is why they haven't Jewel in Venice and Battle of Malta hasn't been published yet. Um, but what what are you guys? Because I, I actually I read the message from the publisher and. Dudley goes into explanation why he um, has reprinted it because there's some aspects and characters in this story that flows in with the heart of darkness. So do you think that justifies re, um, republishing it for the third time? Um, yes, but I think you should have made mention on, of that on the cover. Well, I think so. It helps get you, uh, get you into it. Ah. Yeah, I, th I think if you mentioned that on the cover, you know, ties into a future story or something, because it just says Fire of Life classic story. So for anyone that doesn't know, like, about the Heart of Darkness, then they're just going to think they're reprinting a story. But if mm. he had mentioned, I think, somewhere that it ties in so it's it's clear for people, um, because, like, this is the first time the Heart of Darkness has been printed by Fru. So, you know, if you'd mentioned it, but then I suppose if people already had the ish, that story, they'd be like me and just not buy it again and go back and read it. I don't, I don't know. I think it does, but I think you should have maybe made more of a point of why he was printing it, if that makes yeah. sense. Well, it's in the message of the Phantom, but I guess, you know, for you, you're going to go to the news agent and go, ah, oh, I've got that story. I yeah, and I... I wonder, and I'd love to hear from people listening, you know, send us a message on Facebook or whatever, how many people actually read the message from the publisher? I do read it, but I always read the story first and then go back. No, so, I always read it first and then read the story. Well, yeah, I must admit, I read it first and then well, go back. Well, I've been conditioned from many years of um, previous, a certain previous publisher, who I don't want to mention in case people think I'm bad-mouthing him, spoiling the stories in his message from the publisher. So Yeah, I'm just... I, I feel that sometimes Dudley walks a very fine line there where he starts telling you a little bit too much of the story. Yeah, I, I, I haven't yeah. felt Dudley's gone as far as this previous uh, publisher has has done in the past. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm sort of just used to reading the story and then going back. So it's, I guess, just force of habit more than anything else. But um, the reason I mention that is that I probably would have not read that before reading the story, so it'll be like, oh yeah, I've read that before, that was fun. Um, so yeah, it wouldn't have helped me out much. But that's just me. Um, just to interrupt, um, when we were talking about the Jungle Saying stories, yep. the third story was The Strength of Ten Tigers. Oh, okay. Oh, but that was... Which... That was explained in Defenders of the Earth, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So that one hasn't. That story hasn't been published by Fury. Okay. Um, and just as a quick aside, um, I'm not sure who did the cover for the Fire of Life for this current printing, but I must admit I much prefer the Glenn Ford one. So I apologise mm. for <laughs> whoever did the new one. I don't know, the Phantom kind of looks like he's blowing a kiss on the front. <laughs> People are never going to talk to me now. <laughs> uh, so you wanted, didn't you say you wanted to get Dudley on? And you... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. I like the back. Have you seen the back cover? No, I haven't seen the back cover. Oh, you got to see the back cover. It, that I seems... won't spoil it for you. Okay. Seems to be a running theme that back covers are almost better than their front covers in some issues. Uh, but anyway. I'm looking at Nat Turner's Spirit, the front cover's better. Oh, yeah, by far. But there's a couple I remember, and we, I can't remember which issues mm. particularly, but I remember us mentioning a couple of issues that we thought the back was better, but anyway. Yeah, you're right. I'm looking at the cover on um, Phantom. With it does look like, look like the Phantoms. They're blowing a kiss or whistling. Yeah. Maybe he's whistling to keep his mind off the giant spiders that are attacking him. If <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't laugh. Anyway, we'll move on. Um, yep. I, I think it was a. The question that I originally asked before we had all those interruptions oh, was. Sorry. That, <laughs> <laughs> um, was that a question? It was a case of when, you know, about your thoughts of publishing it for the third time. It was a case of if you don't publish it for the third time, people will complain about it. But then if you do publish it for the third time, people are going to complain about it anyway. Yeah, yeah. it's a catch-22. Although, to be honest, I didn't know there was any connection to The Heart of Darkness until he uh, people started mentioning it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we Australians not having read Heart of Darkness previously, I wonder if it would have mattered. Um... That's not to say that he shouldn't have done it. I'm just saying that, like, if we had just read Heart of Darkness, none the wiser that there was any correlation between it and Fire of Life, would it have affected our enjoyment of the story? Um, I think it was the right move, because yeah. now when you're printing the Heart of Darkness and it refers to it, instead of going, you know, 13... Hundred and something, which some people don't have in their collection, it can be referring to 1738, yeah. and it's fresh in people's memories. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I think it was the right decision to do, even though I'm normally the one who is the most vocal about reprinting stories. Yeah, I, I think in this instance he was right to reprint it. I, I agree, um, but like I said, because I wasn't aware of that connection yeah. to the Heart of Darkness, I didn't pick it up, but. Even if I had been aware, I probably wouldn't have because I've got two copies of it already. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like you say, it's a win-lose win situation for him, really. Or maybe a lose-lose situation. Yeah. But um, what it will, what it, uh, does bring open is the possibility to collect the Heart of Darkness and the Fire of Life in one nice big volume. Oh, well, it's going to get Fire of Life for the fourth time. <laughs> yeah, but it'll be in a nice big volume, so it'll be better. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just want all my stories in one nice big volume. <laughs> yeah, well, we talked about that in the last podcast. Um, yeah, we did. In, the big, in our top three. Yep. So, um, 
I don't know. We know that some people listen to the podcast, and maybe some powerful people who make decisions will, um, <laughs> will listen to it. And... But anyway, moving on to 739. I want to get on to 739. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's get on to that. the fire of life. Okay. So se- 1739 has two stories. Woohoo! First one is, and it's still in 36 pages as well, yep. is The Skull Game, which... Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed, but can we like touch upon the heart of darkness first? Because oh, getting ahead you know, of yourself. You've only been waiting how how long? Thirty, yeah. twenty. I've been waiting for twenty years to read this, <laughs> to read this saga. And it was heard, crap. No, I'm joking. It wasn't. <laughs> I first heard about it when I started collecting in the mid '90s, and to be honest, I gave up on that. I would ever see it in a free comic. I even managed to track down the um, Swedish the Swedish versions of it when it was collected in in the one in the one comic, or it was actually collected in four comics. But I tracked those down just so I can even look at the pictures, so I can kind of get <laughs> a glimpse of what I was missing out on. Because you know, every Swedish Norwegian guy that I was talking to was raving about this storyline. And, you know, um, we're finally getting it. <laughs> you know, it is... Yeah. Um, this is the prologue. So it's uh, Story Class Rimothy and artist is Joan Boyce. Now, um, the Phantom's not in this part. It's actually kind of sets up what is to come, along with the fire of life. So, you know, we've taken an issue and a half setting up the storyline, so I think it's going to be good. Um, The art's really nice. Um, It's very detailed. So, um, yeah, what do you guys think about and What do you think about the spiritual overtone, heavy overtones in it? Um, yeah, I don't mind the supernatural themes. Yeah, I've I've yeah, I've mentioned on this podcast a couple of times that I'm kind of a fan of supernatural stories and characters, so it doesn't bother me at all. Mm. I just asked because you know, um, in folk stories, it's something that hasn't been touched upon hugely, oh. um, and I know some people are a little bit touchy about it, but um, yeah. To be honest, it's only, you know, what? How many pages? One, two, three, four, five, six, six, seven pages. So, you know, without it featuring the Phantom. So, you know, as much as I'm excited about getting it, that we're only seven pages in, we've still got another, you know, 300-odd pages to see, which is probably going to take us two, three years to get. So, um, yeah, you know... Four thumbs up to Dudley, and um, I can't wait to read the other parts. What do, what do you guys reckon? Well, you go first, Stephen. Yeah, that, um, yeah, 389 pages, you were saying, in, in the publisher, so it's going to take a while to get through, and, yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, because, well, you've been sprouting on about it for the last, however <laughs> long the podcast has been going on, of course it's, must be good. But have you noticed that, um, now I don't know whether, you know, we can speculate whether, um, you know, people actually listen to us and actually take what we say into account. But we said, you know, a year and a half ago 
up until present that with the stories being shorter, Heart of Darkness would be the perfect filler. Well, and look at us, look, look at it there. <laughs> we are the shadow shadow rulers of Fru. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, what did you think of the story, Joe? I enjoyed it. It's like you say, it's a prologue, so it's all set up. But I think the setup is really good. Mm. Um, you know, you, you've got the big villain there. You've got this mysterious. You've got Atlantis, um, and I thought it was interesting that there's a little note um, at the bottom. The Orichalcum was considered second only to gold in value and was found in many parts of Atlantis in ancient times. I love that the little publisher note actually treats Atlantis like a real... It was a real place. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's great. I love that. Um, whether that was the intention or not, I don't know, but I thought it was really cool. But um, yeah, I, it, the setup's great. It doesn't have the Phantom, but I don't think it needs to for the mm. prologue. Um, and yeah, you can kind of see that uh, assassin dude being possessed by the demon, but you could sort of see that coming. But I still think it was, you know, it's a nice little setup because the way he's been drawn, he still looks kind of human, but he's just sort of twisted enough that you know he's. Mm. You know, being possessed. Um, it's got the ears and the eyebrows. And... Yeah. A bit like a rat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it'll be interesting, though, to see how it ties in with the Phantom. Because, mm. um, yeah, at the moment, I, I, I just... Like, obviously, he's a demon and the Phantom fights evil. But apart from that fairly loose connection, I can't see how it would tie back to him. So it's going to be really interesting to find that out. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so, you know, it's fair that we've got the Heart of Darkness, which we're all excited about, but I must admit, I really enjoyed the uh, the backup story as well, which was the Skull Game. Um, <laughs> the backup story, <laughs> the one that's front and centre. <laughs> yeah, we'll call it the backup story. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, what, there's a third story I missed? <laughs> <laughs> So what did you guys think about the skull game? Uh, I must, I enjoyed it. I must admit, at the start, I was sitting there thinking, "Oh, this is just a rip off of the skull, city of skull marked men, or you know, the Lee Falk story." Yeah, I thought something like that at the start too. Um, but you know, he's he's taken that idea and sort of changed it, changed the outcome of it, I guess, or you know, what mm. the guys are up to in a really clever way. And it's kind of one of those things where you go, "Yeah, why has no villain ever thought to do that before?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So what what did you think about? I don't know if any of you's picked it up, but the um, the Captain Swago, he was in the um, Lee Fork Barry classic Treasure of the Skull Cove. Did any of you's pick that up? No, I didn't. There, there was some type of reference there, but um, I didn't know what the story was. So you know where he talks about where is it? Um, where he actually talks about how he's gone to the Skull Cave. Yep. And seen the treasure and stuff. So that's actually in a Lee Fork story. It's, um, um, uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll find it while we're still talking. So people <laughs> that are listening that didn't know about it as well can, um, can either maybe read the story or, um, and stuff like that. But I thought it was a great, it was a great, uh, reference to a classic story 
Mm. And um, I also like the dude's brother as well. How he um, how he kind of looked out for his brother and yeah, uh, that was cool. It was just a nice little little um, little touch. Mm. So the Leafork story is Treasure of the Skull Cave. It's the 60th Phantom Sunday story, and it's the first that was drawn by Sky Barry, and it was in the newspapers from May 20th to October the 28th, 1962. Mm. Okay, cool. One thing I thought was a bit strange is when um, Swagger was talking about how he saw the treasure, and the Phantom says, that's how we met. Now, I admit I'm not the best at maths, but given the age of Swagger currently... Shouldn't that have been our current Phantom's father that he met? Mm, it's a good point. Now, whether that's just yeah. you know a, a, a innocent mistake by the writer, or perhaps a little bit of a translation error um, or misunderstanding, something got lost in translation. I don't know, but I think it should probably be the Phantom's father he would have encountered. Not well, the how old? How old is the twenty-first Phantom? Well, I was assumed eighty what? years, hundred by now. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, not not human years. I, isn't he supposed to be in his thir- early thirties? So, because the kids have grown up, like we've talked about it in past stories, where Kit and Heloise look like they're in their mid twenties, mid teens now, right? Mm. Well, the current daily stories are really focusing on that at the moment too. Yeah, so let's let's say they're what fifteen, sixteen. Mm-hmm. Is it such a stretch that 20 years ago it was still this current Phantom? I suppose not. I guess you got to wonder how old you can still actively be punching dudes around. Um, so that would make him, what, 35, 40 now-ish? Yeah, so let's just say he started, what, started as the Phantom as 17, 18, yep. let's just say, for example. So that means he would be about 37, 38 now. Mm. Yeah, well, so. yeah, I suppose, we, yeah, I can see that. Um, now, he's in much better shape than what I am, and I'm, what, 31 or 32. Mm. Um, <laughs> One of them, you're not quite sure, you just don't want to give it away? Or... <laughs> I stopped counting after after my 18th. <laughs> um but I know I'm past 30. I know that hit me. Um, <laughs> I can't remember if that was one or two years ago. <laughs> but, um, but you know, so 37, almost 40, he could still be fairly active, and that would be 20 years ago. So yeah. you would take it as will be one of his earliest adventures. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But you raise a good point that they are showing the modern Phantom as someone in his late 30s, at mm. least. Yeah. I wonder what the uh, ultimate goal for the strip is with ageing the kids, but um, that might be a discussion for another time too. Yeah. Um, but no, I never really thought of it like that, so um, regarding his age. Mm. So what did you think of the uh, the tricks, the... The, oh, I loved it. Yeah. yeah. I love just, you know, the subtle movement of the skeleton's hands and mm. yeah, that was that was really cool. Um The thing that gets it is that it's very detailed in the sense that 
he messed with him with the skeleton. Mm. Yet, it was all done and parceled by page 24. Yeah. And it was one of the things that the short... The shortness of the story didn't actually affect the story, if you know what I mean. No. No. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. But, um, I've been thinking about this over the last you know, week or a few days that you know, since I've read it. There's been some stories, some of the, the 30-odd page ones, I just feel that they dragged and you know, a 22 story might have, been, might have been good for them. Because some of them, and I, we spoke about that story with the second fandom and he spent half the time moping around. Cut <laughs> half of that out. And you would have had a you know a perfectly good twenty two page story. Mm. Um, this one here, um, you know, as opposed to you know, a lot of the American stuff, um, is short, but it's complete. Um, mm. And I, no, I don't read a lot of American stuff, um, but all these short stories that I read, that they're not complete or they're rushed. This was complete and never at all felt rushed. It was a complete solid story that. Um, was quite enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the other stories have the fillers of like, you know, like the fandom having a picnic by the park, you know, by the, <laughs> the lake and then it rains and so they've got to go into the skull cave and, you know, and then they tell the story. Yeah, and that's kind of like three pages wasted. Yeah. So um, this is good where it's just like, you know, bam, straight in the story. And, yeah, I was very impressed, very impressed with this whole comic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I loved that it ended on a joke too, um, with the Phantom worrying that the skull mark might not come off. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's, that, that's my one criticism of, of Bade, or Bada, however you pronounce his, his, his name. I don't think he does the, the jovial Phantom, the, 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 the joking Phantom, or the happy Phantom. He always looks yeah. you know, ticked off. Yeah, he, I suppose you'd be ticked does. off if you got that thing stuck onto your, on your chin there, but... <laughs> Because, yeah. uh, you know, it feels silly covering it with face paint. Well, why are you still looking pretty ticked off there, there buddy? <laughs> <laughs> You're not the, having a joke there. Yeah. Or Garan's there thinking, uh, you've got that nervous smile. Thinking, oh, oh. Yeah, I'm going to have a skull mark of my own in a minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll, I'll just make myself um, scarce for a while. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so does this mean that real men wear makeup? Must <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting they wrote, wrote face paint instead of makeup. Yeah. I wonder if that was a conscious decision. Hey, there's enough women out there that that, that put it on like it's paint. Um, Yeah, well, that's true. (laughs) That's true. Instead of of the uh, little brush thing, they use a paint paint scraper and paint palette. Yep. Uh, Well, with a couple of those, it's pretty scary. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. But what did you think about letting the the other the guy off? Um, yeah, I I don't know. Like, I, I'm kind of in two minds about it. Part of me thinks no, he should have gone to jail with the others. But the Phantom's brother did come to him and say, "Look, he he's trying. He's just well. He, he described him as weak. So, you know, he's he's weak willed and he's easily manipulated. So." I suppose the Phantom figured, well, maybe if he went under his brother's wing, he'd be all right. I'm, mm. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, part of me is like, yeah, that's that's cool to see the Phantom giving a, the guy another chance, but then you think, well, how many chances does, you know, this guy deserve sort of thing? I like it. Mm. I like it. It's, it's, it's you know, 
I know of some people, you know, who have been in and out of jail, and it's very hard to break the cycle. Yeah. So, it, you know, I think it shows a good human side of the Phantom where he's, you know, it would have been very easy for him just to, you know, give him a second skull mark and just move on. Mm. But I, I, thought it was a, I thought it was a nice touch. All right, well, shall we move on to... Yeah, let's move on. Right, yeah. So, we have issue four of Herm's uh, mini-series, uh, Phantom mini-series. Um, Stephen, have you had a chance to read this yet? Yes, I've, I've read um, the four issues, and oh, you guys are keeping the good chockies, weren't you? That That's a oh, yeah. fantastic story, of, you know, series that is. Dynamite, have a look what Hermes are doing and copy that because that's just brilliant. <laughs> yeah. It is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, exactly. So, um, obviously, if anyone hasn't read it, this is going to be... Are we going to do spoiler-filled? Nah, I'll just go for it. Yeah, okay. So, we have... Picks off exactly where the last issue left off with the Phantom um, possibly getting blown up in a plane, but of course we all know that he doesn't, and then you have that beautiful splash image on page three, that just, oh, it's so good, isn't it? It's just like, planes just exploded, I'm on fire, but I don't care, I'm coming, I'm falling down to punch this thing, pirate. <coughs> it's just, it's so good. <laughs> He's just got so much attitude, it's, it's awesome. But, um, it's a very action-packed issue, this, like pretty much the but whole... But nothing happens. Well, I, that's what I was going to... I was going to say, Jermaine, you had an, an issue with this issue. And I was wondering if you'd like issue to... issue with the issue? Yeah, an issue with the issue. I was wondering if you'd Can like I to... Grab the tissue? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> would you like to explain what your issue with this installment <laughs> was? Look, I agree that the art is great and stuff like that, but we've waited three months... And we got a little side adventure. Um, maybe while I agree that Hermes is twenty years ahead of where Dynamite is and twenty times better and stuff like that, maybe Hermes needs to take a leaf out of the last story we just reviewed, where it, things happen a little bit quicker and a little bit, you know, related to the story. My biggest, yeah, my concern is that nothing happens. It's just, it's, it's like a wasted part of the story. It's almost like a filler. It's like, oh, we've only got five parts of the story. How can we, how can we fill it out to, you know, another part? I'll just put this little, little part where he fight, where he, you know, he jumps from a plane, talks to the pilot, and then he um, battles some, some bird. Oh yeah, that, that could be a good story. It just, I don't know. It, it's got nothing. I don't know. It was, it was a waste of time, in my opinion. What do you think, Stephen? Um, I'm trying to remember it. I haven't got it here with me. Um, but but I, I do see um, uh, Jermaine's point. But um, I'm coming out just reading it fresh. Like, I hadn't waited the three months. I've read all the all the issues one after one after the other. And so maybe I've got a different perspective. I just, yeah, thought it was another part of the adventure. But, yeah, if you've, been, if you've waited three months and all you've got is something that hasn't really added to it, then, yeah, I could see your point. Mm. 
I think you both raise really good points. Um, and I think the whole problem um, comes from, or at least a large part of the problem, I think, comes from how late the issue was. Now, if we had have been able to read this on time, and if we had have, you know, like Stephen had been able to read it um, one part over after the other, do you think you would have had the same reaction, Jermaine? Um, yeah, probably not. Yeah, or I think if it was maybe it. published once a month. Yep. And you only had to wait, you know, four weeks for mm-hmm. each part. You probably wouldn't bother me as much. Yeah. But having to wait, you know, what was it, three months? Yep. Twelve weeks. Um. You know, it, it was kind of like, uh, you know, it, to me, it felt like a waste of time. Yeah, I, I completely understand what where you're coming from. Um, I didn't have that reaction. I completely loved it. Um, but I can also completely understand what you're saying because it is all action. Um, everything that happens in the comic in real time probably took place in the space of maybe 15, 20 minutes. Um, but I think if we had read this as a collection or one after the other, it wouldn't feel as bad because we could just go straight on to the next part. And it's this big action-y section. Like, if you think of the first couple of issues, there were bits of action, but there was also a lot of dialogue and quiet time and stuff. This is, I think, the big action set piece, or the big action part for the middle of the story. Because if, if I'm remembering my um, creative writing classes properly, most stories have a, have a good action piece in the middle, and then the big explosive everyone gets blown up section at the end um just to keep the sort of the tension and the momentum and stuff going and i think that's what this issue was supposed to be and i think had it come out in a timely manner it would have been perfectly fine but because we had had to wait for so long and we were so g'd up for this issue the fact that like you say nothing really happen to advance the story it does feel a little bit cheating like we've been a little bit mm. cheated because um, the issue it, it is a really good issue it's action-packed the art is beautiful everything flows wonderfully but yeah there's no real advancement to the story but you know it, it's kind of that thing it, can you forgive that because of the plot part it plays in the overall story or should you know because it was going to be so late should they have done something to alleviate that but then it would have probably made the issue even later so it's a really hard thing yeah which is why i say i think the biggest problem is just that it came out so late yeah and we've we've talked previously about the you know the delay and what how it's ruining the comic and stuff like that so I don't, I don't think we probably need to stress too much on it yeah um there the, there is a lot going on in the story though like you know we've already got a lot going on you know we've got Jimmy Wells we've got the Baroness we've got you know and now David um uh, the writer Peter David the writer has added in even more characters with the 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 pilot and then yeah. the lady and this tribe it's 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 quite a jam-packed comic series 
Mm. And that's that's another reason why, you know, when you're looking at the construction of the story, it's good to have a section like this where it is, you know, a big action piece with lots of stuff happening because you don't have to keep track of all these characters. You're not constantly being pummeled with information because that can, you know, lead to reader fatigue and just go, oh, there's too much happening, my brain hurts, I've got to stop. That's kind of what these action pieces are for. They're to give you a rest from the more... Uh, mental parts of the story and just really enjoy the visceral parts. So, again, that's why I think the issue for what it was supposed to do is really good. It's just the weight has, Mm. you know, spoiled that somewhat. It'll be interesting to hear Stevens if he's still awake. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It'll be interesting to hear his views on part five and six, seeing he's now read one to four mm. in together at you know at a short period of time. Yeah. Um and not having a weight like us. It'll be obviously, you know, for the next time <laughs> it comes out, it'll be interesting to read his views then whether they're the same that, you know, it's you know, it's a drag having a weight and stuff mm. like that as well. Mm. One one thing I did find strange is that on page I think it's eighteen, um, where the the big African woman grabs the phantom from behind, grabs his wrists, his costume suddenly goes pink. That's just... It's it's the page, there's a Mandrake ad next on the right-hand page. Um, his costume's pink for some reason. I don't know if whether that's just a stuff-up in the colouring, or maybe my issue got was printed weirdly, I don't know, but... Yeah. Yeah, I don't actually have... I've don't actually have a hard copy. I've only got a soft, a computer version at the moment because mine's in the mail. Mm. Um, but so I'll, I'll have to look at that when I um, get back to my reader. Fair enough. But yeah. So um, has your excitement for this series waned a little bit, Jermaine? Or? Um, my excitement for this series has waned after issue two. Yeah. Just because of the waiting? Primary, primary, yeah, because of the waiting. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I'm still really excited for it. I did really enjoy that issue, but um, like I said, I do understand where you're coming from. Um, what about you, Stephen? Are you looking forward to the next part? Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> Don't want to wait three months, though, for it. <laughs> no. I really hope that this, um, this experience is one that Hermes will learn from. And that if they do do a second series, they either get Salvaluto, if he's still going to be do, doing the art, to get all the art done before they start soliciting the comic, or just release it in maybe one as one big collection. You know, because if they release a series of graphic novels, I think that would be fine. Mm. Um, but yeah, waiting three months between issues is just not good. Yeah, I wonder, and not wanting to drag this out too much longer. But I wonder if it's actually... Because they've only got the licence for one series. And then I think, from memory, if it's successful, they've have they've got, like, a clause where they... If it's successful, they get, you know, the second series or whatever. I wonder if the time delay affects that. Um, I don't know. I'd say it will affect it in regards to how successful it will be, because I'm sure there's people mm. that will be like, oh, I couldn't be bothered waiting. I'll just drop it and spend my money on other stuff. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. It doesn't help when the, even the comic books, you know how like you do pre-orders with a comic book shop and stuff. Mm. They, you know, there was some news where they've cancelled it. Yeah. You know, so you, like, you had to pre, pre-order, I guess, or whatever you want to do it. So that, that, that won't help the sales. Yeah, exactly. Right, well, um, is there anything else we want to mention about the Hermes 4? Nope, I'm all good. Okay, well, just maybe quickly mention uh, the last part of King Mandrake also came out. Um, does anyone want to say anything about that? I haven't read it, to be honest. Uh, Steve, have you read it? Yeah, Big Castle Demon. Yep. It was all right. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is the Mandrake for, you know, for like, because I've, I've read the first issue, or the first two issues. Is it something worth reading? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Stephen pretty much summed it up. Castle turns into a giant demon. Giant demon gets killed by a magic sword. Um, Mandrake's wife... Nada gets released. Yeah, Nada gets released. She's very sorry and then dies. That's it. Oh, Ma- I, reckon that, I reckon that sword's got something to do with it, because I'm yeah. sure that's in Prince Valiant. Yeah, mag- magic sword is left at the end of the book, glowing sinisterly. Okay. So, and yeah. I've, I've just picked up, um, on my, my comic shop just got in um, Mandrake 2 and Phantom 3, so I'm all up to date now. But I've noticed that in Mandrake 2, he, um, he points out that that sword as soon as he goes into that big and he's got she's got all that collection of magic items yeah. and he makes a, a point of um mentioning that sword so i reckon that's got something to do with it and uh, mm. um having said that, I've, I've now read Fan, yeah, phantom three I, I think that was probably the best one out of the, the lot i think or maybe i've just forgotten or maybe <laughs> maybe i hated four so much that when i read three I said, oh that's not too bad <laughs> yeah so i i guess the other question is is you know, and the risk of dragging this out for another five minutes, is is Dynamite going to be doing anything else? Well, the plan was when they originally announced King that it would be a bookend series. You know, we've got the first one that brings them all together, then they have their little standalone series, which I've just had, and then they have another big King's Watch-like thing where they all come back together again. Mm. Um, I don't know how successful the individual series have been, but if especially the last couple of issues of both Mandrake and the Phantom or any indication, the next King's Watch is just going to be rubbish. Yeah. I get the... Because I haven't seen anything. I've regularly looked on um, Dynamite's, you know, page, looked at their solicitations, even looked at their forum, Mm. and no one's talking about it there, so... Dynamite don't tend to give out information very willingly. Mm. Um, It was a while between the end of King's Watch and the new series coming out before we heard any solid information. Like, we all knew that it was happening because they said it was going to, but it was a while before, you know, the promotion and stuff started. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same case. But having said that, Dynamite are also very quick to abandon things if they don't work. Like, look how quickly they got rid of Last Phantom. Um, Like, we haven't heard anything of that except for that one little nod to it in one of the Phantom issues, the King yeah. Phantom issues. But apart from that, there's been nothing. So if it doesn't work for them, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear anything. But 
at the same token, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear anything until, you know, a month or two before it's ready to come out. Yeah, I get the feeling, though, they're not going to give it up easily, especially mm. because there's been the whole hoo-ha with Herms. Well, in that case, do something friggin' decent with it, then. <laughs> like, yeah. seriously. <laughs> well, I just, yeah, I just yeah. get the feeling that, you know, because Dynamite seems, like, while they're quick to jump off things that don't seem to be working, they don't seem to be like a company that just gives up a fight easily. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I honestly don't know where it's going to go, but I don't have a lot of faith in it at the moment. Yeah. They had such a good thing going with King's Watch, and these... Well, I've only read Mandrake and the Phantom. Um, I haven't read Prince Valiant like you guys have, but Mandrake and the Phantom were just so poor. I just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just don't care. <laughs> I really don't. Well, go read Jungle Gym. That, that'll that'll help. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah. That. I should, that, that I should check excellent. that out. I should check that out. Mm. Anyway, see, so, yeah, to answer your questions, Jermaine, don't bother reading it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just buy it to fill out, complete the collection. Yeah, and then you know, I won't worry about reading it. Mm. Yep. Right, well, is there anything else we want to mention before we wrap this up? Nope. No, I'm done. All right, cool. Well, thank you, everyone, to uh, who listened, who tuned in. Sorry for the gap between episodes. We'll try and get on back onto our more regular... regular oh, I can't talk now. It's too late. Regular <laughs> schedule um, after this. So, as always, you can contact us via Facebook, where I'm on... Chronicle Chambers Phantom fan page and the Phantom Collector page. Uh, we are on Twitter as well. Um, you can find us at Chronicle underscore tweet. And we're on Google Plus, uh, which you can find a link to on the Chronicle Chamber website. Or if you like, you can email us at chroniclechamber at gmail.com. So thanks again to everyone who listened. Thank you very much, guys, for joining me. No worries. And, um, see you, everyone, and thanks for listening. Yeah, we'll catch you again <laughs> soon, everyone. See you later. Bye.